and welcome back to Quarter of Misses, a James Bond podcast. I'm Christopher, and this is the Misses. Hello, I'm Fiona. Thank you for downloading our podcast. We hope you enjoy it. And this is part two uh, of our review of Fiona. The Living Daylights. So, part two, what did you think? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. Cool. What was the most brilliant thing about it? Well, it was just the narrative. Those bang, this happened, then that happened, then twist, then turn, and then there's some just great scenes: the fight in the jail, the um, the battle at the base, the fight on the plane, fight on the plane. Um, yeah. Um, the bridge blowing up. Bridge blowing up. Well, that was a bit of a last minute thing, but yeah, it was. Um, it was some great scenes with some great story, and there wasn't too much upsettingness. Oh, was there not? No. Oh, we, we just talked through. So we started off with them. Bond had arrived in Tangier, and he met with Pushkin. Well, yeah, he was following the blonde, and then the blonde was obviously related to. Pushkin. Uh, the blonde was Pushkin's mistress. Yes, but I don't know how he knew that to begin with, because he was following her, not him. Well, no, he was in the car with him. She was in the car with him. All oh, right, okay, fine. Maybe he looked away at that point with his binocular glasses. Oh yes. Did you like his binocular glasses? They were fine. They were fine. Okay. Uh, and then we discover that uh, what we already know that Koskov is not working with the Russians now. He is, he has gone rogue. rogue. Yes. Um, but Pushkin but and Bond... I, I love, I love the Pushkin character. Uh-huh. Because you do actually believe him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you can see that kind of Bond has a bit of a respect for him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he is the enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's like, an equal on the other side of the... Of yes, the, he um, respects him, doesn't he? Yeah. So, the fa- and then when they have that deal that the only way to smoke Koskov out is for Pushkin to die, and mm-hmm. then he says, well, I must die then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was obvious that he meant, let's, let's pretend that I've died. Mm-hmm. So they stage the Pushkin assassination. Yes. And Netcross is very surprised when he's about to shoot Pushkin to discover that Pushkin is also being shot by yes. someone else at the same time. I'm no. not really sure how Netcross knows that it was Bond. No, because remember, he shined the light on the shooter, saw it was Bond, and then Bond ah, shot the light. and then Bond shot. Yes, yeah. you're right, you're right, you're right. Uh, so then Bond escapes over the rooftops of Tangier and gets picked up by... What do we think they're meant... Those two women, what were they meant to be doing before it became clear they were working with the CIA? I think they were just... Prostitutes? Possibly. Mm-hmm. And he just saw it as a good way of getting out. Getting out, yes. He wasn't, Which, yeah, because that's why when he says, let's party later, but here's some money, yeah. implies he thought they were just wanting mm-hmm. to earn money. But no, they took him to a yacht, and under and in the bowels of the yacht were our, was our favourite uh, charisma-free CIA agent, <laughs> Felix Leiter. Uh, he, he barely even remember now. I know. As a character, he's better played in more recently. Places, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and changes nas- um, ethnicity as well, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yes, later <laughs> on, he's yes, he's black later on. Yeah. Um, and so, that turns out that they have been. Um, what have I got here? Oh yes, <laughs> it feels like a charisma vacuum. Um, 
it turns out they've be, they've made the Whitaker Koskov connection, but from the other end. From the the arms end. Yes. Yes. Um. So they have a wee chat, but we don't see that. What we see is the first mention of diamonds. Whitaker says we haven't been there yet, so you have to sing that. Uh, Whitaker mentions that they should tell Amsterdam to ship the diamonds once he finds out that Pushkin's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're kind of going diamonds. Where do the diamonds come in? Oh, I just thought that was the the the, the currency of the the money that was being ah, spoken okay, about. Okay. Um, but I didn't think about it being in the ice until James Bond said that. Oh, and, well, that comes later on. Yeah, sorry, that? I'm spoiled. Uh, and uh, Cara phones Yorgi, and he gets very uh, tense. Yes, because Cara's supposed well, to be dead by now. Oh, that's because ah, I I just saw Yorgi getting tense, but I assumed it was someone. I didn't make the connection that it was Cara. It was going to be Cara. Mm-hmm. But Bond then tells Cara the truth. But she doesn't believe him. But she doesn't believe him, and she's now started because to work. Because he's, uh, Gorg, Gorgie's already, Yorgie's already told her that Bond is a KGB. KGB, yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying to get him back. So she drugs Bond. With the, uh, vodka martini. Vodka martini. Uh, and he is then kidnapped back. Uh, but before he, well, just as a point at which he revives when he's been put on a plane, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, taken somewhere, Cara has seen the light and come back to the good side. Well, she kind of does that within the room, mm-hmm. I think. You know, when he's saying... Oh, when he proves to her that he was the one that shot her. Yeah. Proves that she he was British and not mm-hmm. KGB. But it's too late by then, because she's already drugged Yes, up. but it means that as soon as he wakes up on the plane, she's like, I'm really sorry. And it turns out they're going to Afghanistan. Why not? Why not? Well, there's a good reason for that, actually, it turns out. Uh, but they get jailed in the airbase with the very nasty jailer. Yes. Um, and uh, the local prisoner as well, who yes. is, adds a bit of local colour, we think, and possibly nothing more. Um, but then when they escape, they let him go as well. There's a very good fight in the, in jail, the jail, yes. Well, and he helps with the fight the as well, so yes. it's not like they're just releasing prisoners willy-nilly. Uh-huh. Uh, and it turns out that the prisoner is Cameron Shaw. Well, can I just say my favourite bit, which I think you enjoyed as well, mm-hmm. is when they jumped over the fence and then I literally jumped out my skin oh, yes. when the cameo guys from the tribe, or whatever the it is, Mujahideen. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, jumped up out of nowhere and I went, oh! <laughs> Yes, you did. You were scared by the fact that they, that they jumped up. It was up. just the unexpected nature of it. <laughs> Ooh, um, Yes, uh, so it turns out that uh, their fellow prisoner is in fact the local commander of the Mujahideen. What do you know about the Mujahideen? Nothing. I know nothing about the Mujahideen. What do you know about the Russian invasion of of Afghanistan? Nothing. Uh, Well, the Russians invaded Afghanistan in 1979 and turned out it was a really difficult place to keep a hold of, just as the British had found out a hundred years previously. Mm -hmm. Um... Uh, and the various groupings of people who were against the Soviet rule, Soviet invasion, mm-hmm. basically everyone in Afghanistan, um, were usually referred to as the Mujahideen, which is which really means somebody who is engaged in jihad in religious war. Yeah, right. Um, so that's who the Mujahideen are uh, fighting against the Russians, and, and this guy Kamran Shah is the uh, local commander. Bond tries to get their help, but they're not keen because they've got something else they need to do for the tribe of the Snow Leopard. But for just for the sake of it, they take Bond with them. Just yes. for laughs. 
I don't know if I'm maybe trying to keep an eye on him as well. But they think uh, they might be able to get him to the Khyber Pass, thinking that all he'll want to do is get out of Afghanistan. Oh, so Not, they're, break, they're taking him to then help him cross yeah, the border into yeah, okay. India or Pakistan. Um, but it just so happens that the uh, the local leader had been to Oxford. Yes. Well, that was not that unusual in the no, but Mujahideen either. I just met the one that they happened to be in the jail when they yeah. happened to be there, happened to be A, the leader, and happened to be Speaking English that nobody else seemed to. Yeah. Never mind being educated at Oxford. <laughs> um, yeah, and so there are, it turns out that the tribe of the Snow Leopard, who they are protecting and helping out, are doing a massive drug deal with Koskov. Oh, who knew? And so the full extent of Koskov's plan now becomes clear, that he's taken the money that the Russians have given Whitaker for the arms to buy diamonds, which he uses to buy opium, which he's then going to turn a profit on, so much that he can then buy the arms that the Russians are expecting and also keep a nice watch for himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And presumably Pushkin had got too close to this scheme so he decided he needed to be out of the way as well. Mm. And, and a bit of a high-risk strategy, he decided to double-cross the British Secret Service as part of the, part of the plan yeah. this time. Uh, so, um, uh, Koskov's there, as his neck cross with his fabulous Miami Vice-style rolled-up uh, jacket sleeves. I love the 80s fashion. <laughs> and you can just see that this is just getting, this is just what we're now. We're not being an 80s fashion film, but it mm. totally is. Um... So Bond stows away with the opium. Yes. Um, on a truck. She seemed to think that that was a mistake, but I think Bond fully intended to stow away. Yes. But he could have, like, explained the plan to, to somebody else. To somebody else yeah. so that they didn't. But then it was. Still... Section 26, paragraph 5, that's need to know. <laughs> but, um, as it turned out, the fact that she went meant they all followed and the fact they were all there at the base fight was actually quite helpful to Bond. It was very helpful to Bond. Um, and she did indeed go, because the Mujahideen weren't going to go. I know. And then they went women. Yeah, yes. It's almost as if some of the Mujahideen, when they got rid of the Russians, were fully intent on starting a society where women would be totally subjugated, wouldn't <laughs> it? Well, it certainly uh, didn't seem to please them that a woman was taking the lead. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, off he gets, and they, then he eventually Bond loads the opium onto the plane, along with an explosive that he'd got from the Mujahideen, that they yes. just had lying about. One which I would say was the noisiest bomb I've ever heard tick, <laughs> but turned out to be handy later when he had to identify it amongst the millions of bags of opiates. Especially when you can imagine how loud it would be on that kind of plane, okay, with no yeah. panelling, etc. <laughs> uh, while in flight, yeah. Um, he gets spotted, though, um, uh, when he's coming out of the plane mm-hmm. by Necros and Koskov. And then there's a great big airbase fight where the whole of the airbase almost gets completely destroyed. My favourite bit <laughs> was when... He's the the leader of the... Oh, Art Malik, Cameron Shah. Cameron Shah was in a JCB and he just drove through some sheds, which happened to be showers, and there was bear bombs. Bear bombs! <laughs> That's little boy humour. I you know. know. Little boy humour bombs. Um, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, wow. Every, every bit of possible 
truck or building or it was brilliant. Just got blew up. There's an element of a western about it. Yeah. Um, slash army base blowing up, mm-hmm. but yeah, everything was good. There's things happening all over the place, and not just for the sake of it. You know, it, it was really well done that fight mm-hmm. scene thing. Uh, and as we said, the Mujahideen turn up and storm the base as well to help mm-hmm. Bond while he is trying to. What do they, what's, what's he? Why does he decide to to drive the plane away? I think it's just he realizes he can once they're distracted by. I think. Because uh... I thought his plan was put the bomb on the plane, ten minute timer, bugger off. Plane explodes. Yes, but he can't bugger off. And I think now he knows that the the that uh, they know where he is. No, the the tribe guy, uh, the Cameron Shah, Cameron Shah and his and the Mujahideen. Yeah, Mujahideen. Mm-hmm. Um, were nearby. He couldn't create a big explosion because they'd get hurt as well. Mm-hmm. So he had to change his plan. He might have been. I mean, he kind of was planning just to escape to Pakistan, but maybe he did want to seize the opiates for some reason. I don't know. But the bomb was still ticking at that point. Yeah, but he was planning to go and disarm it before it stopped ticking, but then yeah. the, the henchman got in the way. I didn't keep a track of how long the 10 minute time I actually ticked for before he turned it off, but I think it was a bit more than 10 minutes. I know, I know. Uh, anyway, um. The blade took off. Koskov, Necros, and Kara are all chasing after him. Kara yes. drives onto the back of the plane, Italian job style mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, uh, and Necros jumps onto the plane. Uh, Koskov survives a massive explosion. Like Jaws. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting that. Um, and off they go. So then we have a plane flight. The plane fight with Necros and Bond. Um, hanging off the back. Ha- who eventually are hanging off the back with a big sack of opium is buffeting about in the wind. That's an exciting bit. Well, it went on a bit. Do you think? Because you kind of knew Bond was going to win. But what I like, well, yeah, I knew that. But what I liked about it was you knew that was happening for real. Two men, mm. not necessarily Timothy Dalton and the other guy, were on the back of that thing. Mm. And um, especially once the once Bond cut through a bit of the um, satin netting mm-hmm. that let a lot of the bags of opium fall out, and especially when then once Necros was disposed of as well mm. by cutting the boot off. Um, the bag, the bag was really whipping up and down when he was trying, when the guy was yes. trying to crawl back into the plane. Anyway, Bond gets back on, diffuses the bomb, as With you say. seconds to spare. Two seconds to spare, I think, was what it had. Yeah. Uh, and off they go, and they catch up with the Mujahideen boys, who are conveniently crossing a big bridge being pursued by the Soviets. So Bond helps them out by chucking the bomb. Onto the bridge, which then explodes, allowing the Mujahideen to win a crucial victory um, in their uh, war of attrition against the Soviets, possibly leading to the Soviets withdrawing the following year, um, and the Mujahid, the various constituent parts of the Mujahideen becoming powerful in the region of Afghanistan, um, which will have no repercussions for Bond and his Western allies in any way whatsoever, I'm sure. Um, you know that Osama bin Laden was educated in uh, in Britain as well. Yes. As well as being part of the Mujahideen. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's funny how things change, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think if they'd had foresight into the way things would turn out, it would be uh, a friendly ally of James Bond in this film. 
True. But then don't you think, actually, if they knew the way Russia eventually went, would they ever have said, actually, this Soviet Union, where we have this Cold War with them all the time on the brink of nuclear disaster, you know, at least we know what we're doing. At least we're all chums, really, behind the scenes. Um, so, uh, they do that, then they have, then they escape in the Jeep because the plane is losing fuel! It is, just everything happens, like, oh, and now this has gone wrong too! <laughs> uh, so they have to escape in the Jeep, which they do in a nice shadowing of the opening as well, in that, can he went over the cliff in the Jeep and put the parachute out the back. Mm. And now they use the parachute on the plane yeah, to yeah. come out the back. Um, and, uh, off they go to Karachi. Well, you know, it's a good restaurant in a very Roger Moody line mm. I wasn't too keen on. Uh, then Whittaker gets his comeuppance, because there's another baddie to go. Well, there's still two baddies to go, because of course Koskov survives. Um, so Bond traps Whittaker in his little now, playroom. Don't you think that scene with Bond and Whittaker in the playroom, it's very much like the scene with Scaramanga in his funhouse? Oh, yes, yes. And there's things echoes. Um, coming at him and animatronics yeah. and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And they were kind of only a feet apart, but they were still hiding behind things. And, and Bond is about to be killed, but luckily Pushkin has turned up with Koskov, uh, who he then says will be taken back to Moscow in the diplomatic bag. As in dead. Dead, yes. So everyone's happy. Kara gives a big concert in. Oh yes, because then Bond says to Pushkin, "So what about Kara? Well, she's a defective too. A Let's defect. talk about it." Yes, and it turns out that they've sorted out our immigration visa for her, so she can come and go as she pleases. And she's going to tour the world, the world mm-hmm. after without fixing the hole in it. Well, that's surely. Not- that affects the sound. I would have thought it probably does affect the sound, doesn't it? We should mm. speak, seek out a cello expert and ask them. Um, yeah, but at least it's a story for the of the for the cello. How did you get that? I was crossing the Austrian border, crossing the Austrian Czechoslovakian border. Um, yeah, and uh, yes, uh, Bond doesn't want to miss that performance. Not the performance of the. Uh, yeah, he, he missed the concert. concert. He just wanted to be there for the shagging. Yes, that end. The end. The end. It was brilliant. Was it brilliant? Yeah, the second half was better than the first half, I thought. Do you think? Oh, I think the general consensus is that it kind of falls apart in the second half. Well, I was reserving judgment. Maybe I just should have made the judgment on the whole film rather Uh than judge it halfway through, but yes. No, good. So, your ranking so far of the films we've seen Mm -hmm. is Spectre was better than Goldfinger, which was better than Tomorrow Never Dies, which was better than The Man with the Golden Gun. Where does the brilliant living daylights go in this sequence? At the top. At the top? Oh, my gosh. At the ones we've seen? Well, bear in mind, I put Goldfinger above Spectre. Um, Is this better than Goldfinger? I don't think it's better than Goldfinger. Is Goldfinger your favourite? Goldfinger's not my favourite. We haven't seen your favourite. We haven't seen my favourite yet. Maybe we will see it soon. But before we do that, we have to speak about a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, our fabulous game of da, 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 da. did the compilers of the 50th anniversary postcard set of James Bond pick the right pictures to illustrate the living daylights? Ooh, the living daylights. Here we go then, Fiona. You have to describe what's on the pictures and then say whatever. Think about what you would put. For there are four. Photographs, four. Okay. 
four images of the four. Ooh, the living daylight. Which four would you pick? Oh, um, them sitting in a cello, sliding oh, down yes. a hill. Mm-hmm. Um, An exploding milk bottle. Um, you didn't give me. Felix later. You didn't give me time to prepare for this. I would say something involving a cello, probably between a woman's legs. Um, Interestingly, in the original story, short story in which this is based, which is really just the first bit of him being sent out to um, shoot a KGB sniper, and it turns out to be a woman player who is a cellist, mm-hmm. um, and he doesn't do it in that case because he just fancies her, not because he thinks she's not a sniper. Yeah. Um, Fleming has a very interesting sentence about how it was almost... Uh, indecent for this instrument to be thrust between her powerful thighs. All right, Ian, calm down. Mm. Um, maybe the, um, I can't say what they, these people. The Mujahideen. Mujahideen. Well, even in, even in the film, there's the Mujahideen, and within a few scenes he'd start to call them the the Mujahideen, and I don't think they really knew what to say either. Um, so them riding through the desert and maybe the big plane blowing up. I don't know. All right. I would say the bit when uh, Necros shines the light on Bond. That's quite uh, a good yeah. shot. Anyway, these are the pictures. You have to describe them and then say whether you would have included it. Oh, that's just the uh, gun barrel shot with a woman that's not even the woman from the film. And I think it's meant to be the woman from the film. Well... She's wearing a dress. It's a poster. It's a, it's a poster. Yes, but does she wear a dress like that? She wears a white dress at one point, yeah. Right, I think okay. when they're in Vienna, okay. before she gets the fancy... Right, uh, but it could be dress. any Bond film. It's not particularly about this. No. It's okay, so the poster, right? Poster, yeah. Next one is... Oh, them on set just having fun. I think it's when they're in the breaking out of the prison, uh, breaking out of the airbase, is the bit that this is. Aye, but they're not. That's not actually part of the film. No, they're it's not like a smiling picture, like that. <sighs> My favourite bit of the film. Oh, right from the beginning when he parachutes into the uh, the woman looking for more than just playboys and polo tennis play, pros. Tennis pros. Yeah. That's a good. I had to pick that. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's. And. Ah, her as a sniper. Yeah. I quite like that. I like that image for a Bond film um, because it's, you know, go women and she's more than just a bimbo that's going to go, oh, James. She does say, oh, James, at one point, though. I know, but at least she, <laughs> there's more to her than that. And I, I quite like her as a character. Oh, yeah, I like her as a character, too, but I do think basically the whole plot centers around her being stupid enough to think that her boyfriend. I don't know. Yeah, I, know. I, don't, I would love to know how he sold it to her to stand in the window with a rifle. Well, he, she said that it it would convince the um, the British that this was a real defection. Mm-hmm. And he'd come back for her, basically. Yeah. Okay. All right. Speaking about the poster, a new feature that I've decided to implement now is what's the best poster for the Living Daylights? So Can here, I say more than one. There's more than one. So, uh, 
This one that I'm just going to show you now is the um, the new James Bond living on the edge. Yes, that's the that's the slogan or one of the slogans. Um, this was the one that What's they the used. What's the daylight's got to do with anything? Because he must have the what? Ooh, the living daylight's got to do with anything. Because when he was speaking to Saunders in the car when they were driving away from the defection, he said, whoever she was, I must have scared... Ooh, the living daylight. Out of her. Okay. Would have been better if he'd sung it, wouldn't it? <laughs> so this was the poster to say that it was starting to be filmed. It's just Ooh. the grill of a car. So and it's not even trail. the... Is that the Aston Martin? Um, it's it is an Aston Martin. It's it's the old, it's the DB5 Aston Martin, oh, not the one right, okay. in the film. But that's just saying we're filming. Okay. Um, this poster, um, was to stop people, uh, watching a pirate version of an early cut that was started to be circulated on VHS, and was very very popular. So they got this poster and put it up in synth cinemas basically saying this is an early cut and it doesn't have everything in it and you'll enjoy it much more if you go to the cinema to see it but to be frank i don't think many folk who would watch a pirate a rough cut a pirate version of a rough cut james bond film wouldn't eventually go and see it in the cinema mm. as well uh, the rough cut is now quite famous um, and apparently they were even thinking about putting it on the dvd how famous it, it is um then we had this one. That's just Timoth- Timothy Dalton. With the slogan. The most dangerous Bond ever. Is he the most dangerous Bond ever? She's thinking. No, I think the modern one's a bit more ruthless. A bit more dangerous. Yeah. I, think he's, I think the thing is, Timothy Dalton's such a good actor that there's bits where he's like, he actually portrays emotion. Mm. But that's not very dangerous. And mm. then this was the uh, European poster, and I think not only the best poster for the Living Daylights, but the best Bond poster of all. Best poster for? Ooh, the Living Daylights. Right, so it's the gunshot barrel. Oh, but with scenes round about it. Yeah. That's pretty good. Isn't it? Though she doesn't look like her. No, she's not very good. Which is odd, because the guy who painted it had to repaint, see there's the tiny little Mujahideen, although obviously it was bigger in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, he apparently had to repaint one to look more like Art Malik. And it's like, but you're perfectly happy for this to be Mariam Dabo, who doesn't look anything like her. But, no, I think this is pretty good poster. That's a good poster, isn't it? That You want to see that film, don't you? Although it does tell you everything that happens in the film, pretty much. And it's roundabouty way. But enough of the cinema release of The Living Daylights. What pray tell, don't look at me like that, what pray tell of the television showing of The Living Daylights? Because that's why we're doing it in this strange order, remember? Okay. So here are the, this, the Living Is this Daylights. this what else I could have seen? What else you could have seen okay. on the night of the premiere of The Living Daylights, Saturday the 3rd of October 1992. This is the whole day's TV. Have a look through that and see if you liked any of it. What? Just tell me what was on at the same time. At the same time, at the same time. People like to know what you think about things. Um, it was on at 6.30pm on ITV. Uh, at the same time it's you could... It's a bit... Early. I wouldn't think it was pre-washed, Shed. Well, it certainly was. It was probably 
cut quite a bit, I would Yeah, that's um, They tended to be. On BBC One at the same time, Bobby Davro, Public Enemy number one. Mm. Comedians at Large, Channel 4 Racing's tipster John McCurick and Lobo's Vicky Michelle, together at last. Uh, this week, studio celebrities facing embarrassing revelations from about them themselves from their friends and family. Uh, then Bruce Forsyth's Generation Game. Uh, and then Casualty, uh, with Charlie was still in it, you'll be thrilled to see in the, uh, in the picture there. Um, then at ten past nine, The Dream Team, first show on network television for a film starring Michael Keaton and Christopher Lloyd. You remember The Dream Team? No. Neither does anybody else, I don't think. Uh, on BBC Two, you could have watched uh, uh, Late Show Highlights, followed by News, followed by Rumours of Rain. Oxfam is 50 years old this week. Although often in the news because of its emergency work, much of what it does does remain unknown to the public. This film goes behind the scenes in India and the Philippines to examine the state of Oxfam today, and the causes it espouses, and the way it works. Uh, then, uh, War and Peace. In the week leading up to Remembrance Sunday, which must have been about four or five weeks ago, uh, BBC Two is showing a season of programmes with the dominant theme of 20th century British life, the human cost of modern warfare. To introduce the, se- the season, veteran journalist and former Marine Charles Wheeler returns to Normandy beaches where he served in the day-to-day landings. And The Gaze of the Gordons, the latest television work by poet Tony Harrison, involves a, offers a verse commentary on the, speakable, on the unspeakable horrors of the 20th century. Uh, on Channel 4, it was the Brookside Omnibus. My parents used to watch the Brookside Omnibus on a Saturday. Uh, then Right to Reply. Then The World This Week. Then Another Bloody Sunday. The final documentary from filmmaker Barry Cockcroft visits Doncaster Rovers Rugby League Football Club as the team celebrates a losing streak of 19 games. Now every Sunday is a nightmare and there is still pride, hope and humour. First on ITV. But more importantly than that, afterwards on ITV was a documentary called 30 Years of James Bond which is really good, although it's a bit kind of heavy on the stunts, but it is nonetheless. You're going to make really me watch good. it? Well, I, I, I've, only, I've only watched it recently on YouTubes, so you could watch it on YouTubes if you fancied. The most interesting thing about it was that they suggested that all the actors who'd played Bond up to that part were specially interviewed for it, but Sean Connery looks like he's being interviewed for something else. In, in promotion of a film called Medicine Man. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't say an awful lot about James Bond, really. And he's very, uh, you know, he's very grumpy about saying anything about it, as he usually is. So that was uh, when The Living Daylights got its TV premiere, and when I first saw it on TV, although I actually bought it on VHS. Fact, fans, if you're keeping up there. Uh, Shall we uh, roll the dice to see what our next uh, film will be? Where's the dice gone? I had them here. Where did I put them? Oh, oh they're down here. Oh, they're down there, right. Okay, hang on, I have to get the right uh, thing up to so I know what the the key is to, uh, to tell you what the film's going to be. Okay, roll that dice. Let's see. We've had that one. Next, try again. See, remember this happened last time, didn't this it? This is going to get even more common, isn't it? Yeah, although I'll ch- once we get down a bit, I'll change it a bit. Uh, yeah, we've uh, we've uh, had that one too. <laughs> okay, let's watch the trailer. Lovemaker, heartbreaker, earthshaker, moonraker. Roger Moore is James Bond, 007, in Ian Fleming's Moonraker. From United Artists, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. 
where all the other bonds end. Moonraker begins. Moonraker. So the first thing out of your mouth when you saw which film it was, was... Moonraker, I love this one. I don't know why. <laughs> you love Moonraker. It's Moonraker, folks. I, I, I um, just have a fond association with the film in my youth. Uh-huh. I can't really remember the content of it. But it's okay, because I've just been shown the content of the entire film in the trailer. Quite a lengthy trailer there for Moonraker. Surely every explosion was in that trailer. I think possibly, yes. Is that what they wanted? Just the bang bang? I think so. Okay. I think so. Does Moonraker have a th- song that I have it to does. sing? You Has will it have goes? to sing it when it when you hear it. What is that, it? Is that your most important thing? You'll hear it when you want to watch it. But I'm allowed to say Moonraker as much. You're allowed to say Moonraker just now because we're having a hair bit. Okay. That's uh, so you can't you can't say any of the ones that we have uh, that we have heard. So uh, you have anything else to say um, other than to look forward to Moonraker and a bit more of? Well, if, if his I his name's more Roger Moore. If our listeners did want to get in touch. How could they do that? How could they do that? They could do that by emailing us at quantumofmisses, that's mrs, at gmail.com, or on Twitter uh, with the handle at quantumofmisses, again, mrs. Um, But uh, if there's nothing else to say, then... uh, Join us next time when there'll be a little bit of him and a quantum of misses. Bye. Bye!